Second Samuel chapter 3. Moses told Israel that the Lord had dealt with them the way he had in the wilderness, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And we have some of the Lord's words here in Second Samuel chapter 3 and in other places as well. We have learned this morning in Romans chapter 6 that we are the servants to whomsoever we choose to obey. And we have now been made free from sin and its dominion, and we ought to be servants of righteousness and obedience to the Lord. We want to look into our lives and realize that we have served passionate spirits in the past, spirits that involve anger, bitterness, envy, malice, revenge, harshness, unnecessary harshness. And we want to cast off the yoke of that master, and we want to take on the yoke of a new master. And that's to have the gentleness and the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and others like them. Our spirits are very important before the Lord. We are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. From 2 Corinthians 7.1, and we want to introduce this subject from 2 Samuel chapter 3. We've studied Romans 6, that we're to be dead to sin and alive to a new life of righteousness. So we want to put off those works of darkness and the works of our old man and put on the new man. We've considered that we ought to spend and pass the time of our sojourning here in fear because we're dealing with a God who has no respect of persons, but judgeth, judgeth according to every man's work. Are you ready to receive the doctrine of God, to believe it and to obey it, and be a slave to righteousness? We need to ask ourselves. We need to examine ourselves and look at our spirits and make sure that they measure up to what God describes for us. The Lord has a message for us about our spirits. And we want to humble ourselves before His Word. And as was prayed, His Word is described in the Bible like a mirror, in which we look in the mirror, and the mirror of God's Word points out our blemishes and our flaws, and we want to remedy that. We want to cover them with the makeup of the blood of Jesus Christ and righteousness and obedience to Him, so that we go our way a different man than what we saw in the mirror. If we look in the mirror, see our blemishes, wait for the sermon to get over, and then go our way, we're foolish, and we're hearers of the Word, but we're not doers, and there's no blessing. There's judgment. We're to lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness of our flesh and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save our souls, and we want to receive it about our spirits. Now, there's all kinds of spirits. There's spirits of slothfulness and their spirits of depression and their spirits of moodiness and their spirits of complaining. I mostly want to deal, but all spirits are included. I want to deal with a spirit of excessive harshness and hardness and anger and vengeance and bitterness and a lack of forgiveness, all of which is contrary to the Spirit of God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This study follows our men's meeting on Wednesday in which I address the fathers about their spirits in the home. And it follows the proverb that I wrote a day or two later from chapter 29 of Proverbs in the 22nd verse about the danger of anger. We want to be the children of our Father which is in heaven. And he gives us a wonderful example in Matthew chapter 5 because he loves even his enemies. He blesses them. That beautiful day that we had yesterday, he sent that on every agnostic and atheist and pagan and Halloween celebrator in Greenville County, just as he sent it on us, because he is so good, so kind, so loving, even to his enemies. And he tells us to be the same way, that we might truly be his children by our actions. We are in Second Samuel chapter 3. I want you to never forget some words that are in Second Samuel chapter 3. There are men that are otherwise very useful to the kingdom of heaven. There were men that were useful to David in waging his wars. But those men were not nearly as useful as they could have been. And those men scared David. And those men were a danger at all times to the security and the peace of Israel because of their hard spirits. A hard spirit is not from Jesus Christ, and it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's from the flesh and the devil. James chapter 3 tells us that if we have bitter envy and strife in our hearts, don't lie against the truth. It doesn't come from God. That's a so-called wisdom that comes from beneath. It comes from the devil. It's devilish, it's earthly, it's sensual. See, it's sensual, it's just the reaction of the natural man to a situation instead of the Spirit of Jesus Christ governing our spirits. And it leads to confusion and every evil work in James chapter 3. But the Spirit that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, easy to be entreated, and is a peacemaker and a sower of righteousness. That's what we want to be. We have two great examples. The first one are the sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was David's sister. The sons of Zeruiah would be David's nephews. There were three of them. There was Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Some of you may already know what I'm, the ground I'm covering because your father did a good job with you last evening. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, King Saul and his sons except for Ishbosheth, die on the battlefield. In chapter 2, there is a battle between the remnants of Saul's house and kingdom and David's men. And one of David's nephews, Asahel, who was very fleet of foot and could run very fast, was chasing Abner. Now, Abner was the captain of the host of King Saul's kingdom. He was the general of the armies. He was the head of all the military forces of Saul's kingdom. And so there's a little skirmish going on between some of Saul's leftover men that still thought they had the kingdom, and maybe Ishbosheth would be their king for the future, and those men from Judah that were loyal to David. Now David's nephew Asahel, who was fleet of foot, singles out Abner, and he wants to take Abner down which would be a great military accomplishment to take down the captain of the host of Saul's 
remnant. It wasn't a fair battle because Abner was far superior to Asahel. And Abner begs the young man to stop chasing him before he'd have to kill him. And it was very fair. Abner showed character on the battlefield, knowing that Asahel was Joab's brother, and he didn't want there to be unnecessary bad blood between the two of them. So he tells the young man to stop chasing him, but he continues to chase him. And so the wiser man just stops and impales the young fool on the butt end of his spear. And so he's disemboweled right there, and it's one ugly scene. And they call a truce for the day, and so ends Second Samuel chapter 2 with there being a truce between Joab, who is David's captain of the host, and the general of all his armies, and Abner, the captain of the host of King Saul's kingdom. And then we come to Second Samuel chapter 3. Abner and Ishbosheth have a falling out. You should be following the names I'm giving you. Ishbosheth was the son of Saul. He thinks he's going to be king. Abner helps him for a couple of years to act like a king over the rest of the tribes of Israel while David's the, the head of Judah. Abner and Ishbosheth have a falling out. It's not it's not germane to our point to worry about that falling out. But they have a falling out, and Abner says, Well, if that's the way you're going to treat me, then I'm going to take all the tribes of Israel and give them to David. Because David ought to be king over all of us. And so he goes and meets with David. And they have a a pleasant reunion. Just remember, Abner had chased David and tried to kill him for a number of years because Abner was in charge of King Saul's men. David receives him, throws a feast for him, because that's the heart of David. I wish, I wish before God that every member of this church could get the heart of David and could get the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ and could get the heart of the Apostle Paul, whose spirits we are told about in the Bible. It did not matter to David what had gone before from Abner. It did not matter to him that Abner had chased him like a dog for years and had forced him to live among the Philistines and would have killed him at any time if he could have got his hands on him. Didn't bother David. Now see, there, there's a spirit that won't forgive. There's a spirit that holds men accountable for what they've done in the past and will not forgive. And you know, the Lord warned Peter about that because Peter had a disposition in that direction when Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven? You know, Peter was thinking very high to reach for that, that high number of seven. Jesus said, no, 70 times 7, to bury Peter, because Peter's spirit was so wrong. And then Jesus, in that same context, in Matthew chapter 18, tells the parable of the 10,000 talents versus the 100 pence. The worst that anyone can ever do to you on earth is only 100 pence. The worst. The worst thing they can do is 100 pence. They can't exceed it, because you're you, and you don't count. Right. And I'm me, and I don't count. So the most it can be is a hundred pence. But the Lord's already forgiven us ten thousand talents. Not a hundred pennies, but a vast sum of money. And we ought to learn that forgiveness. And that long parable ends with this warning. That if we don't learn to forgive every man his brother from our hearts, then the Lord's going to deliver us to the tormentors, and he will mess our lives up. 
And he'll tear us up, and rightfully so. Because that is the height of injustice, is to be forgiven 10,000 talents, and to take someone else by the throat with a spirit of viciousness, wanting to destroy them for some little tiny offense against you or someone else. We want the heart of David. We want the heart of the Son of David. The Lord Jesus Christ, we want the heart of our brother Paul. The reason I say Paul is because Paul conducted himself like a nursemaid among the churches in the New Testament until they backed him in a corner when he had used everything at his disposal to make peace with them. Only then would he pick up the rod of his authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to even the Corinthians in the spirit of the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We want that. David meets with Abner. They have a feast. David embraces Abner and says, This is wonderful. Abner says, I'll go get everyone. I will bring the whole nation and unite them together under you. And David lets him go in peace. Now David had authority in Judah, and Abner only came with 20 men. I wonder why he thought he could make it with 20 men with David. Because that was the safest place to be on this planet. Even though you would chase David with all your lives. And brethren, we want to be safe houses of reception and mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness for everyone who puts their trust or confidence in us. We want them to be able to come with us no matter what they've done in the past and know that there's going to be reception if there's repentance. But if there's repentance, we couldn't care less what they did in the past. God doesn't care what I've done in the past. He's had mercy upon me. And He's had mercy upon you. And we want to be that way so that people trust us. Abner came to David. David sent him away in peace. Joab wasn't there. Joab comes back, hears that David has made peace with Abner. Now, why is Joab really angry against Abner? Because Abner killed his brother. Joab knows that David has made peace with Abner and is uniting the kingdoms. He's told that. But he chases after Abner. He sends messengers after Abner, brings him back. And says, I need to discuss something in private with you. And when he got his arm around Abner, the captain of the host of the kingdom of Saul, who had just brought all the tribes to David, he kills him and assassinates him. And then we get, we're in the middle of 2 Samuel chapter 3. Joab is David's nephew. His brother Abishai, Joab's brother, is David's nephew. Asahel is dead and buried. Verse 27 of 2 Samuel 3. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, because Joab brought him back on the pretense of business, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. I have some secret matters to discuss with you. And smote him there under the fifth rib that he died. And it tells us why. For the blood of Asahel, his brother. Now, David may not have had his family's blood shed by Abner, but Abner had chased him for years. But look at the difference in the forgiving spirit between David and Joab. And I have preached an entire sermon entitled, David or Joab, which one are you the most like? And I'm addressing every man, woman, and child. Which one are you the most like? Are you peace-loving? and merciful, and forgiving, and gentle, and meek? 
Or do you get angry and bent out of shape and hold bitterness and plot revenge and get excited about wrecking vengeance on someone? You have a choice. Joab, David. Which will we be? Lord, show us where the passion of our spirits gets out of control like Joab's. Verse 28. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. That is the curse that David put on Joab's house for Joab's vindictive, wicked, harsh, overbearing, critical, killing spirit toward Abner. Notice, I'm guilty, I'm guiltless, and my kingdom is guiltless, and all the guilt is on the head of Joab and his father's house. Don't let there fail from the house of Joab one that has an issue, some pus pouring out of his body, or that is a leper. Let all the lepers that can be in his family be there. Or that leaneth on a staff, let his family tree be filled with cripples. Let him be filled with suicides. And let him be filled with beggars. That's David pouring down God's judgment on Joab for what he did to a man in a time of peace. Verse 30, So Joab and Abishai his brother slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. Fair in battle. Abner tried to save the young fool's life, but he wouldn't listen to a superior soldier. And so he died. Verse 31, David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes, gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the buyer. They're having a funeral for Abner. And David tells Joab and his brother Abishai and the men that were with him, Tear your clothes and mourn this man appropriately. And they buried Abner in Hebron. I'm in verse 32. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. He was lied to, he was deceived, and he was assassinated by a man pretending to befriend him. And all the people wept again over him. That is over Abner. Verse 35. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. What a man. The Bible tells us that David's name was much set by in Israel. That is the kind of spirit we want to desire. That's the kind of spirit that we want to have. That it was so pleasant that the whole nation got excited to know what the king wanted. 
Because whatever the king wanted always pleased the people. Verse 37, For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? What a difference. How could David call him a prince and a great man in Israel when he had tried for the last number of years to kill him? When for the last two years he had protected Ishbosheth and tried to raise up Saul's government over Israel? Where does that come from? Where does that kind of a spirit of forgiveness come from? It is never in anyone's flesh. We would never have that spirit by nature. Our natures are full of hate and malice and envy and wickedness and murder and revenge. It is not by our natures. It comes from God. And a spirit of forgiveness. Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Now listen to these words and don't ever forget them. And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. I am this day weak. Even though I have just been anointed king, and I have the whole nation now willing to submit to me as their king, I am weak because I have within my ranks a spirit in my own nephews that is too hard for me. It makes choices and does things with a spirit of vengeance and anger and bitterness that I don't approve of. Now you can start asking questions, probably the same questions I ask. Why didn't David kill him? He did later by telling Solomon to do it on his deathbed. And so Solomon had Joab killed. But why didn't he kill him right here? Joab was useful. Joab had the army. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So do you know what that means? It doesn't matter why David didn't kill him. But David is explaining to you the nature of a spirit like Joab. It's dangerous. It's unsettling. The kingdom is always at risk because Joab's going to blow up at somebody else and kill them. That murderous spirit that was in him was so different from David's. And we want to remember these words. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too hard for me. Would David say that about me in the way I treat my wife? Is Jonathan Crosby too hard for me? Would he say that the way I treat my parents? Is Jonathan Crosby too hard for me? The way I treat my children. Jonathan Crosby is too hard for me. The way I treat the church. He's too hard for me. I have a spirit. And I hate my spirit. And I want the spirit of David and I want the spirit of the son of David. And I want to examine wherever my spirit gets control of me and gets too angry, gets too hard, gets too harsh, gets too bitter, gets too vengeful, gets too overbearing, gets too critical. 
and root it out. And cut it out. And get rid of it. I want to be like David. I want to be so forgiving that if Abner shows up, he's safer there than anywhere in the world. Even though he's tried to kill me for the last ten years. And that I'll throw a feast for him. And that we'll sit down and we'll eat together. And I'll send him away in peace. David was always that way. I don't want you to forget these words. And you that have been here for a long time, you know the words. Because you know I won't let you forget them. Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. Is Jesus Christ saying that about any of us? Where do you blow up? Why do you get twisted out of shape over small things? Why? That spirit isn't of Christ. Let's not get twisted out of shape. Let's keep the shape and the form of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 4. Different things set us off differently. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too hard for me. Did David ever say anything like this about his nephews again? Let's start. King Saul, this is not the first time, this is the third time. The first time, King Saul was chasing David and he went into a cave to relieve himself. In the cave to relieve himself, in the Bible it's called covering your feet. There's two occurrences of it in the Bible. That doesn't mean he's taking a nap and he laid a shawl over his feet. It means that you have to drop something and cover your feet in order to relieve yourself. David standing in the shadows of the cave. And guess what his good nephews want him to do? Kill him while he's in the act of relieving himself. That's 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 26 He's got David surrounded, but at night when they're sleeping, the Lord leads David into that camp of Israelites. They're all sleeping on the ground, and he gets up right next to King Saul. And Abishai says to him, let me smite him with a spear. I won't need to do it the second time. I'll I'll pin him to the ground right now. In both cases, 1 Samuel 24, whole chapter dedicated to it. 1 Samuel 26, whole chapter dedicated to it. David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Now wait a minute. Listen to how we could reason if we had the soul of a devil. I'm the king. God's anointed me to be king by Samuel. This is no longer the king. This man's profane. This is a wicked man. This man has tried to kill me. I'm only doing this in self-defense. Could, could we make up some arguments? I, I want you to understand about your spirit. Your spirit is always able to produce some reason as to why you are upset. That's why they have trials for murderers. Why do you think they have to go to trial? They're going to prove there wasn't a justifiable cause. But everyone thinks they have a justifiable cause. If David ever had a justifiable cause, you would think it was obviously the will of God to bring me right here beside a sleeping King Saul who's been trying to kill me. I'm the new king. I should just get this show on the road. And there's my nephew. He wants to do the dirty work for me. 
Do you follow me? David said, not a, not a chance am I going to touch the Lord's anointed. Do you know that when David cut off a little bit of his garment and took his canteen and a staff or whatever he took from him, do you know that it smote his heart? Do you know that, that bothered David? That bothered David. What is wrong with a man that gets bothered about doing something like that? Because he understood that King Saul was in an office that should be honored. Right. Now, my brethren, we have a president that lives in Washington, D.C. And do you know what? He's God's anointed. Do you open your mouth against him and curse him even in your thought? We have fathers in this congregation. And if their children rise up and do things against them that dishonor them, disgrace them, shame them, or pain them, they are being just like Joab and Abishai and forgetting who the anointed of God is in their lives. Your fathers are God's anointed office over you. And that office should be honored. No man in any office has ever been perfect. But children are to honor the office of father, and they are to honor the office of mother. God has anointed, if you'll allow me to use that word used to describe Saul, your parents. Out of 6.8 billion people, God chose your two parents to be your parents. Your master at work. You have masters and supervisors and managers at work, and they are God's anointed. And when you fight them, or you get angry with them, remember, you are not like David. You are like Joab, and you're like Abishai, who wanted to kill King Saul. Let's constantly examine ourselves. You wives... Your husband is God's anointed in the office of husband over you. And when you talk to him, and when you think about him, you should be like Sarah, who even in her heart addressed her husband as Lord. Because that's the Lord's anointed. And we should look at every position of authority that God's created the way David did, instead of the way that Joab did. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 16. Let's turn over for a little bit more about Joab and Abishai and the sons of Zeruiah. Remember, Zeruiah was David's sister. David's sister had three boys. They were quite a fighting clan. Those three boys were fantastic warriors. Their, their exploits are described in the Bible. Several chapters are dedicated to them and the others that were under them for their military exploits. Second Samuel chapter 16, David is on the way out of Jerusalem because Absalom, his son, is chasing him out of the city. And God sends a man named Shimei of the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul's tribe, to come out and curse him. Which is just about the last thing that a man would need when he's being chased out of his capital city and out of his palace with a few men. And he's grieving about it and he's leaving. And here comes this Benjamite that's going to curse him and does curse him and throws dirt clods at him. Here's David. He's the king of Judah. And leaving the city, he's having dirt clods thrown at him and cursing him. So what does Abishai, one of David's nephews, say in verse 9? Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, 
Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. That'd be hard to resist. Very hard to resist. And the king said, listen. The king said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? David was a prophet. Again, we're not told how David understood that Shimei had a purpose in David's life. And that was to curse him. So again, we have David calling down his nephew for having a bad spirit. And these sons of Zeruiah always wanting to kill anyone that got in their way. Just a vicious, vindictive, harsh, never punishment, appropriate for the crime. Always more. David stops them. Now the Lord takes care of Absalom. And they're coming back into the city. Second Samuel chapter 19. Second Samuel 19. And the Lord sends Shimei out again. Shimei wasn't as bad on the way back in. He's had a change of heart, but Abishai hasn't had a change of heart. So in verse 21, Shimei repents. Verse 20, For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord, the king. Verse 21, But Abishai the son of Zeruiah answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Now, now, isn't that amazing? Now, Abishai cares about the Lord's anointed. You know, when it was King Saul on the ground, he didn't care that it was the Lord's anointed. Now he wants to invoke Davidic language to try to justify himself. David said, and here we go again, Second Samuel 19, verse 22, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear unto him. David swore to Shimei, I will not kill you. But on his deathbed, David told Solomon, You know that you have a dangerous man in this kingdom. There's two of them, in fact. Joab, Shimei, well, there's three of them. Adonijah, Solomon's older brother, and so all three were taken care of with political advice for his son because his son was young and tender and was not like David. But here we have repetitive statements of David describing the harsh spirit of Joab and Abishai, his nephews. Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. He let them remain in his government because they were useful. But he couldn't trust them. What have I to do with you? You and I don't think alike. You're vicious. You're too hard. Where is some gentleness? Where is some meekness? Where is some forgiveness? Let's remember these words. We want to avoid the hard spirit that David or the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, or that God would criticize. How do we treat our children, our spouses, our parents, our government, our king, our president, our pastor, our masters, our managers, our supervisors. How do we treat them? How do we treat our enemies? Somebody offends you. 
Big whoop-de-doo. So what? How much can they hurt you? A hundred pence? How are we to treat our enemies? You know, a spouse can become an enemy. The pastor can become your enemy. A church member can become your enemy when they offend you and you look at them like they're an enemy. What are you supposed to do? Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them and love them. And that is the only way you can be a child of God. If you don't do those things towards someone that offends you, you're not a child of God. You are not giving the character traits of God because He does it every day. Yesterday, as Sherry and I were delighting in such a perfect, beautiful day, I was reminding her that every agnostic, Catholic, atheist, pagan in this city was getting the same day shining down upon them. Because God is that merciful and that good. And we want to be just like Him. Who blows up? Ask yourselves, who gets twisted out of shape? When do I get twisted out of shape? Do I get twisted out of shape? How often do I get twisted out of shape? What causes me to get twisted out of shape? I want to cut that out of my life. I want to be dead to that way of living. I want to be alive to the Lord Jesus Christ the son of David. I want to get rid of that spirit of the sons of Zeruiah, of being too hard. I love authority. I believe in authority. I believe a father ought to rule his house. I believe a husband ought to lead and rule his wife because the Bible says so in Genesis 3.16. I believe our president ought to rule this country. I believe that masters in workplaces ought to rule their companies because the Bible teaches it. But are we too hard? Are we too hard as parents? Are we too hard as husbands? Are we too hard as masters, pastors, or civil rulers? You know, when the authority of a master is presented in the Bible, in the the New Testament, immediately he's warned that he needs to be fair and just to those under him. Because there's the restraint on a master's authority. We do not want to abuse... Authority by our spirits getting out of control. Rule your spirits. You're able to rule your spirit. You're greater than a man that can take a city. Do you know what city Joab took? The city of Jebus. The capital of the Jebusites. Its other name known to you? Jerusalem. Mount Zion. At the top of a mountain. A fortress. He took it. But he couldn't rule his spirit about his foolish brother who committed suicide by chasing Abner when Abner begged him to stop before he had to kill him. I'm not going to make much progress today. I'm not done yet. But I'm not going to make much progress. But I don't care as long as somebody, one of you, two of you, ten or twenty of you will say, I have a... I have a spirit that does get worked up. It does get twisted. I I get too critical. I get too overbearing. I get too harsh. I'm almost like a shark in, in water where some blood is dropped in. I want to devour. That's wrong. That's Joab. Where's the mercy and the forgiveness of David and the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what you had to do to the Apostle Paul to get him to use his apostolic authority? You had to push him into a corner and beat him. Repeatedly. Read his epistles to the Corinthians. 
He put up with so much from them. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. Oh, Lord, you have forgiven us 10,000 talents. Help us to forgive and forget the hundred pence against us. Let us love mercy. Is that what the Bible teaches? To do justly? To walk humbly? And to endure mercy? Force mercy? Love mercy. Why? Because it's better than any other form of religion. Mercy is better than sacrifice. It's the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 9. Let me read you a couple Bible stories. Beginning at verse 49. Luke 9, 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. First Bible story. Well, not counting Joab. Second Bible story I take up at verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, that is the Lord, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they, that is the inhabitants of this village, did not receive him. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Don't read ahead. You know where we're at. Jesus is committed to dying on the cross for you and for me. On his way to Jerusalem from Galilee, he is going to pass through Samaria. He sends some messengers ahead to tell them that he's coming. Because they know that he's only going to stay there a short time because he wants to go to Jerusalem, they don't receive him well. Because he doesn't, he's not very impressed with their little village. Verse 54, when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The Lord Jesus Christ has set his face to go and die, even for some of those Samaritans. And they didn't receive him. But look at his spirit about the whole thing. Let's just go to a different village. Let's just go next door to a different village. James and John. Now John already shows that he's got a problem. He hears about some man, or he saw a man casting out devils in what name? Beelzebub? The gypsies of the Jews? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we forbade him because he's not with us. He doesn't have our denominational colors on. And he doesn't do everything we do. Jesus said, don't stop him. If he's not against us, he's with us. If he was casting out devils in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was in union with them. 
No man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Spirit of God, no man can cast out a devil by the Lord Jesus Christ and His true authority and power without being one of Christ. You might say to me, but where does it say in the Bible that if they're not with us, then they're against us? That is doctrinal error. That was men that was saying that Jesus was casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. That is an enormously difference. John has a problem. Now, Jesus had recognized that problem as soon as he met John and his brother James. They may have been cousins of the sons of Zeruiah. Because when he met them, what did Jesus name James and John? Boanerges. Sons of thunder. How about sons of rain? How about sons of sunshine? No, they were sons of thunder. Jesus named them. What event is this that they're referring to in verse 54? Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Elias is Elijah. Is this when Elijah called for fire to come down from heaven and consume the altar with the sacrifices and the water poured over it and around it? No, that didn't consume anyone. Was there another event in Elijah's life? When he sat on a little hill outside and the king sent out a, a captain with his poor 50 and said, Come down, man of God. And the man of God said, If I'm a man of God, then let fire fall down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And so fire came down from heaven and consumed a captain with his 50. So the king sends out another captain with 50 more. Come down, man of God. You need to report inside. I'm going to take you there. If I'm a man of God, then let fire fall down from heaven and consume you and your 50. What did the third captain do? He got down on his knees and begged for mercy. And, and Elijah had mercy on him and said, all you had to do was ask. I'll walk in with you. You don't need to chain me up or put me in your chariot. I'll go with you. James and John remembering that Bible story. Now remember, brethren, remember. If you want to lord it over your wife, you can find verses in the Bible that say you are her lord. And that her desire is to be to her husband. James and John had 2 Kings chapter 1 to remind them that they could call down fire from heaven. You can use the Bible. The devil knows how to use the Bible. But are you using all the Bible? And are you remembering that mercy is more important than sacrifice? Are you remembering that ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of? This was not the spirit of God in James and John. This was a natural devilish spirit of vengeance. Because a village of the Samaritans didn't have a Memorial Day parade for Jesus' arrival, all Jesus took offense at was, we'll go to a different village. What do you take offense at? What gets you torqued and twisted and upset and angry and wanting to get vengeance and get a piece of flesh that causes you to remember things and be bitter over it for years? We want to purge ourselves of all that. Bitterness eats us up from the inside out. It is not the Spirit of Christ. It is not the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember these words. Verse 55, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. You do not know what you just said. You do not know what motivated that. You do not understand the passion that is raging in you to bring up something so ridiculous. You say, well, the Bible's never ridiculous. The Bible is always ridiculous when it's used out of context. 
The devil uses the Bible out of context. The devil quoted Psalm 91 to tempt Jesus to cast himself off the temple. And he quoted it from a King James Bible. You know why I know that? Because I find it in my King James Bible. But he was wrong. He was using it out of context. He was going to force the Lord Jesus Christ to tempt the Lord his God. And Jesus Christ wasn't going to do that. Brethren, we need to examine ourselves closely. When David would pray, and if I preached a whole series of messages about the heart of David, what made David different? One of those compartments of David's heart, one of those aspects of his life that made him different was self-examination. More than any other man in the Bible, he describes examining himself and asking the Lord to examine himself and to prove him and to try him and to search him. And so when we read words in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We want that spirit. We want to look at ourselves. What do I get angry about? When I get angry, is it all justified? Of course, your flesh can justify it. But can God justify it? Would David justify it or would David say... Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. Would the son of David say, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. That spirit is not of God. Don't talk that way. Let's just go to a different village. I've held up the mirror of God's word. Every single one of you need to look in the mirror of God's word and answer what gets me bent into shape. Do I get bent out of shape more than David or the son of David would justify? I have got to avoid those situations and not do that anymore. God saved me from my spirit. I want the spirit of Christ motivating me. I want to be as forgiving and as merciful and loving mercy as the Bible describes. I want to be a peacemaker, not a peace disruptor. I am this day weak. Though anointed king, these sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Let's repudiate all the unnecessary anger. Jesus calls it murder. Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 26. Let's repudiate our bitterness. That's a, that's a grudge burning inside of you that would result in murder if there wasn't a constraint. Let's forgive. Let's forgive and forget. Let's forbear and overlook. Let's pass over transgressions. Let's mercifully deal with our spouses. Let's mercifully deal with our children. Let's mercifully deal with our parents. They're in offices that God anointed. They're all going to make mistakes. Lots of them. Big ones, little ones. Let's be like David and like the son of David. There's so much more that could be said. The mirror is up in front of your face. What blemishes do you have? Where are you too hard? Where are you too hard? Repent of it. Confess it. Be a peace lover. Love gentleness and mercy. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.